Test, one, two, three, four. Test, one, two. All right, I think we're good. Welcome to Myth, Ritual, and Symbolism. Today is August 29th, 2022. This is the first day of fall semester. Welcome back. I am Dawn Panconian, and in general, I'm going to be using this space and these podcasts to think through what we are reading in this course, to think through what we are seeing, what we are hearing. I am going to begin, though, with a caveat, because most likely you are hearing me here now before reading Toni Morrison, before reading Hanif Abdurraqib for this week, I... I'm not yet going to be talking through content. I'm going to use this space this week instead to talk to you about some of my own pedagogical convictions, if you will allow me to. I I want to show you what I've been thinking about this summer. I, last May, wrote online learning and I've been teaching this course for MCAD since 2016. And in May, I said, I need you to remove my course from Canvas. I'm starting over. And so, and I've done this before. It's not brand new. I like to rebuild my courses. Um, Also, context change, students change. This just felt like a moment to clear the slates and start over. That means that I'm going to be here building this course alongside of you. Eric, too, is building it. I have been swimming in content for this course all summer long. So we combined, Eric and I, have reams and reams and reams of good ideas and good content already, but we're going to be looking to you, um, figuring out what you need and how you need and what you care about, and and hopefully we're, we're aspiring to accommodate those, those needs and also those desires or wants or expectations. So I wanted to say that to you up front. I, um, so in this course, let me talk to you about some of my thinking. Let me also talk to you a little bit about who I've been reading, and then I'm going to talk you through problem-posing education because that's something that we're experimenting with here for the very first time online. I know exactly how I would do it live. We're going to see if it works in this online virtual space. I hope it does. So, okay, rewind, rewind, rewind. Uh, Let me tell you too that, do I need to tell you this? It doesn't really matter just for fun. Um, I am in Argentina. I am teaching this course from Rosario, Argentina, birthplace of Lionel Messi. If any of you are soccer fans, I'm in the, what is considered the cradle of Argentine soccer right now. And here I do research right now on soccer fandoms. There are two professional soccer teams in the city where I live. They are both um, very competitive. Their fans, too, are very competitive. And so I'm asking questions about community and belonging, using fandoms as a way in. Even more specifically right now, I'm looking at soccer jerseys and the experience of, of wearing a soccer jersey. Like, what is the emotive experience and how does it bind you or not to other people? How does it facilitate or not social interaction? Um, Right? Is it easier to strike up a conversation on a bus with somebody who's wearing the same jersey you're wearing? I've got a slew of questions right now. I don't know where they lead. As I lecture new content, I always, my questions evolve, if you will, that I'm asking in the quote-unquote field. And so 
I suspect that just because we're here, just because we're going to be looking at ritual and talking about sacred narrative, I'm going to be using my own data sets and my own um, interviews and just research in general as anecdotal here. It's so easy to get from soccer in Argentina to thinking about sacred narrative. It's so easy to get from really anything in the world, I think, to thinking about ritual. That's part of the problem with ritual, but um, we'll talk that later. It it Even in a more obvious way, it's really easy to get from soccer to ritual in some of the more traditional ways we think about ritual. Uh, that said, now let me tell you this, why am I telling you I'm in Argentina? I'm telling you that because my favorite philosopher educator is Paulo Freire. He wrote a book you might have heard of called Pedagogy of the Oppressed. If you run out of things to read and you like this sort of stuff and you already know like education in general could be better, then this is a really good book. Highly recommended by me, by a whole lot of other people. Put it on your list of things to get to someday in life. Again, if thinking about education is your jam. If you're ever aspiring to teach, definitely, definitely put it on your list. And Paulo Freire is Brazilian, was, was Brazilian, will forever be Brazilian, but is no longer living. He passed in 1997. In 1968, he wrote that book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, again in Portuguese. It came out two years later in English. And in it, he said, look, education, the way we are used to it in the present, this kind of teacher shows up, teacher has knowledge, teacher imparts knowledge to a room full of students, students absorb knowledge and then go forth with new knowledge. That only works just to sustain social hierarchies. Um, even if, say, everybody's working really hard to decolonize the classroom, even if everyone's working really hard to diversify their syllabi, for example, that model, that hierarchical structure in the classroom only reinforces hierarchy outside of the classroom. And on top of that, what you're not doing, it doesn't matter how much you talk about the importance <clears throat> of learning to think critically, none of that matters if you still have this power dynamic in the classroom where students are expected to be sponges and to absorb. And so Freire was one of the first people to come out saying, and you've heard this all over the place by now, I assume, but we're talking Freire because he started it. Freire was one of the first people, was let's say the first, um, that I know who really went global saying we need to co-teach, we need to co-learn, and we need to focus foremost on posing questions. And these need to be questions, for Paulo Freire, they needed to be questions that really got at what was wrong with society. And I thought I would read here by reading you a quote. This was written by Henry Chiroux. My French is terrible, so bear with me. Henri Chiroux, 2010, if you want to look him up, his last name is G-I-R-O-U-X. And in writing about Paulo Freire, in describing critical pedagogy, which was, again, Freire's idea, he writes, one of the fundamental tasks of educators is to make sure that the future points the way to a more socially just world a world in which critique and possibility, in conjunction with the values of reason, freedom, and equality, function to alter the grounds upon which life is lived. I'm going to read that one more time, just in case. 
One of the fundamental tasks of educators is to make sure that the future points the way to a more socially just world, a world in which critique and possibility, in conjunction with the values of reason, freedom, and equality, function to alter the grounds upon which life is lived. So Freire was saying, education as we know it doesn't do this. It doesn't position anyone to get out of school and really radically alter the sort of these paths um, to careers, to life, to everything else, right? School is about positioning people to, to do what is expected of them. And what Freire's idea was, was instead we flip the classroom. You've heard that before. He didn't say that. That's trendy and newer. And we focus foremost on having students generate questions and then letting those questions drive education. What are the questions that matter? And then can we contextualize those questions together? And I'm not going to lie, I cheated a little bit. I came in with some of my own questions and yeah, I'm trying to influence you and your questioning. That's true. You can push back. Ultimately, you've got space every single week. On Wednesdays, I'm asking, I'm calling this assignment problem posing. Again, that was what Freire called this, as opposed to a banking model of education. I show up, I bank information or knowledge in you, and then you depart, you go on your way. Um, Freire said, no, let's, let's problem pose. And he really imagined it as these big, again, societal questions. How do we get at the roots of environmental racism? Uh, how do we understand climate crisis? How do we, right, those were, like, I think, what Freire had in mind. We are going to get to those questions. I assume they're going to be woven throughout this course. I think there's so many ways, for example, to get from myth to or ritual also to climate crisis, for example, definitely also also to environmental racism, for example. I think we can get from the content in this course to anything you can fathom being wrong about society today. But now that said, I did come in posing some of my own questions. I also came in making an assumption. That assumption is that society and the world in general right now is in a bad place, that there are a lot of things that are broken, um, both socially and also biologically. And therefore, my questions are, You've seen these on the cover page, they're also in week zero, and they're also in our syllabus, but I'm going to say them one more time just so you hear them out loud. Can we, human beings, in all of our symbol-making glory, recreate the world with stories? Can we study myth, ritual, and their symbols in ways that are applicable, that can matter to the present and future? And can we do all of this without colonizing the sacred narratives and practices of others? These are the questions I would like us to center in our thinking this semester. Yes, we're going to go back to Sigmund Freud. Yes, we're going to go back to Bronislaw Malinowski. Both of them were writing more than 100 years ago. And so, yes, we're going to be reading, even next week, we're going to be reading scientists who talk about primitives, barbarians, and moderns. We're not not reading the problematic discourses of science's past. I want us to confront those. I want us to borrow what's useful to us. I want us to make better what we can. Um, in effect, I want to contextualize this course, the study of mythology, 
for you and we're going to do that by going back to that deep old school science, I think that it can be worth your while to pretend to be Freud for a couple weeks. If you were Freud, if you were convinced of all of his ideas that became psychoanalysis, how would you analyze a myth? What would you see in, and again, I'm going to leave, there's a lot of space in this course repeatedly for you guys to pick the myths you want to pick apart, if you will. And in those particular cases, it's not going to feel a whole lot like we are maybe recreating the world with stories. But I want us to do that. So in effect, we're arming these toolkits and then you're coming up with the questions, the questions that problematize Freud, but also I'm going to do my best to try to salvage Freud, to try to say, what if this? Could this be useful from, from Freud? Right? It's really easy, especially in the US right now. It's interesting that I'm saying this to you from Argentina. Um, Argentina has a really, really, really strong um, discipline of psychoanalysis, let's say. There are a lot of psychoanalysts in this country, and it's still a reputable field. In the US, it was, and then it wasn't, and then, weirdly, I think there's a little bit of a resurgence right now. In any case, I don't need you to be convinced or not by psychoanalysis, but I do want us um, to stop and see, like, what did Freud get right? Anything? And then, the reason we're doing this is because I want us to think about the importance of... We're borrowing stories um, from others and into a world where people do think with these lenses. People think as functionalists or structuralists. We'll get there, we'll get there. People think the way Freud thought, partly, sometimes even without knowing it, partly because these have become in a sense, the waters through which we swim. And so I want us, before we get to the end of this course and we are actively world building, if we, if we will, I don't know how this is gonna go down, you guys. I'm so nervous as I say this too. I'm so, so nervous that there's not gonna be a way to borrow from this vast opus of sacred narratives in a way that feels just, in a way that feels decolonial. But again, this is what is so cool about critical pedagogy, about Paulo Freire. We're problem posing all the way through this semester. So if you're saying to me over and over again, this doesn't work, this isn't ours, we can't use it, I'm gonna grow convinced of that. Eric Butler, I should tell you this, Eric Butler is an MCAD graduate student and co-teaching this course with me. So Eric too can become convinced of this. All of us, you, Eric, me, we're in conversation, we're asking questions that aren't always going to be easy to ask and we're going to, I am certain, ask a lot of questions to which I do not have the answers. That too is a little bit stressful coming in as the instructor for this course. That said, I have been an anthropologist for increasingly a really long time. I don't know what counts as a really long time. I used to think I was young and cool and Hoven, right? I, I'm not anymore. I'm a grown-up. Um, I've been studying anthropology since graduate school. I was 24, 25, 24 when I went back. God, that was young. I'm 43 right now, so I'm nearing two decades in this discipline. I can bring a lot to the table. Um, and in addition to bringing what I know, I can bring the questions that I'm always asking. And I'm hoping that that too proves useful to you. I thought, okay, so let me stop and tell you how I think problem posing is going to go down for us in this classroom. I'm going to make these audios once a week. 
at the front of the week. I am never going to, or I'm gonna try really hard not to insert spoilers for the readings and or video, uh, sometimes audio content into these so that you can listen to these at the front of the week and then you can go into the readings and I do want the readings, especially, for example, this week, again, Toni Morrison, Hanif Abdurraqib, I thought, you know what, I'm going to make this feel like we're all hanging out and I'm going to talk you through the things that struck me about Morrison, that struck me about Hanif. And then I thought, I can't do that because that ruins the surprise. These, I've spent all summer figuring out what readings I wanted to open this course with. And I've, again, been teaching this course for MCAD since 2016, never opened with these two readings. And... I'm certain, I'm 100% sure right now that these are where I wanted to start. But I'm not going to tell you why. I'm going to let you read them. I am going to hope that they make you feel. I'm going to hope that you enjoy them. I'm going to hope that they make you think. And then I'm going to wait for your questions. And so by Wednesday, you'll see in the Canvas calendar, also the link for our weekly content. You can get there that way you'll see that I'm saying, just pose two questions, two exploratory questions. You can ask me all of the clarification questions you want, but in addition to that, give me two exploratory questions. And here's where I can stop and say, I would like for you, I'm not a policewoman, I'm not policing this, but I would really like for you to have a hard, like old school notebook and a pen I'm making these podcasts and not videos because I want to free you to be away from your computer, to not be looking at your phone screen. I want you just to be able to be, I don't know, sitting on the bus listening to this, if that works. But I would also ideally really like you to be taking notes when doing so is worth your while. Uh, this audio is a little bit more of let's just get going, but some of these audios most of them ideally are going to be much more concrete, much more substantive. Let me tell you what I know and think about Freud again, to stick with that example. You're going to think all we're doing is Freud. We're not. We're doing two weeks of Freud. Um, let me scroll, scroll, scroll and make sure. Yep. Yep. Nope. We're doing three weeks of Freud because I added a week where we're just drawing. All right. Three weeks of Freud, but it's not a lot, right? This is a 15 week course. I, um, I should be telling you, why am I using Freud? I should be using, we're also going to be reading, for example, Gloria Ansaldúa, who is a total badass. And when we're talking the power of language, we're going to be looking at how, how language works in general. We're going to be looking at the insidious ways in which language functions um, in service to power. I think that's part of thinking about myth. It's also part of thinking about morality and metaphor. I'm going to be asking you in this course pretty quick by week three, is a metaphor a myth? You might have just had a knee jerk reaction where you said no, obviously no. A metaphor is something that you use in poetry. We learn that in literature in middle school. Um, I'm going to give you at least one reading in particular that's going to make you rethink that and then you're going to decide. I've used this argument in the past and I've always had students say no I'm sorry I just I know what a metaphor is and it's not a myth I'm okay with that another thing that is great about this type of education is I for example I'm going to have my own working definitions I'm going to come out with my own understandings and you're going to do the same so um but that was a really good way to say to you we're going to read one of my favorite favorite authors we're reading so many of my favorite authors this is the cool part of 
content design, course design. We're starting with Hanif Abdurraqib, who I've been fangirling all over for a lot of years now. I almost taught this entire book in this course, and then I decided, no, I'm just going to give you some selections, and now here live, I'm going to say to you, not quite live, almost live, I'm going to say to you, hey, if you like what we read this first week from Hanif, go, go get it. Um, go get anything he's ever written, because it's all really badass. Um, all right, but another favorite author when we get to the power of language is Gloria Ansaldúa, who writes in Spanglish, wrote her dissertation in Spanglish, as in part a fuck you to academia. And I think for most of you, it's going to be unlike anything you've ever read before. I always have to teach it saying, let what you don't understand wash around you. That's part of the experience. But how much cooler is it to have the what you don't understand washing around you not be some academic ease that somebody is using to perform their belonging in an academic club, but rather to be someone's use of language as it really functions, as it's played with, twisted, modified, as it evolves, language as a living thing right? Why, why are we writing in language as if it is static and does not evolve? Uh, I, again, I'm in Latin America and I weave pretty, pretty easily and all the time, even on the street, more so in Mexico than Argentina because Mexico was closer to the US, but I weave all of the time words like cool, words like super, words like oh my god, and I didn't learn the, that, that weaving in the US, I learned it on the streets of, of Mexico, really. So, um, I want I want us, I'm going to try as best I can to, yeah, again, there's some old school academic ease here, but only when we're using it to contextualize the thinking we want to contextualize. Does that make sense? I said that a couple times, so let me stop being redundant. Let me say just a few more things to you here in this very beginning. Um, so I found in my summer of doing research into critical pedagogy, and again, this is something I've been thinking for decades, but really just stopped this summer to say, what are people actually doing in the classroom? Let me stop inventing and let me start paying attention to how other people are trying to get all frarian in their classroom. Side note, I learned a couple weeks ago that the arts education program at School of the Art Institute of Chicago, I taught there before I came to MCAD, their arts education program is extremely frarian. So their students go in and they're, they're socialized into all of the content that I'm using to inform my educating this semester. So you can think of this as a little bit of an introduction into that type of, um, of schooling. Uh, all right, that was a little bit of, that was supposed to be a side note, but it was supposed to leave me where I wanted to get. And where I wanted to get is Ah, I know exactly where I wanted to land, here. So in doing this reading into this literature and looking for actual examples, I found two professors in Mumbai, India, who are in a computer science and engineering program, and they did real research, like old school research where you have control groups and where you are implementing one strategy in one set of classrooms and another strategy in another set of classrooms and then you compare the results and what they did is what I'm trying to do here virtually. They went into the classroom and instead of lecturing in an engineering course for an hour and then saying do you have any questions, they talked for 15 to 20 minutes and then they said 
write down your questions. And they had introduced this idea of questions to clarify and questions to explore. And then they filtered through those questions. They kind of grouped them by questions that were overlapping. And then the second part of the lecture was responding to the questions. That, in effect, is what I'm trying to do here virtually. Uh, we're not going to do two lectures a week. I thought for a little while, what if I break it down and I do 20 minutes and 20 minutes? That's too many audios for you guys in one week, I think. Tell me if you think I'm wrong. Instead, what I'm going to do is this. I'm introducing, for example, now the course. You're going to push back. You're going to ask questions. Your questions can be related directly to what I'm talking about, um, but should also really even at least as importantly show you in conversation with who we're reading and seeing and viewing that are not me in this course. So this week, that's Hanif Abdurraqib. That's Toni Morrison. That is also Barthe Kher, uh, who we'll be looking at slightly later as we get towards the second half of this week and that I'll come back next week at the very beginning of the week just like I'm doing here and I'm going to use your questions as my prompts what I'm going to talk about next week is going to foremost stem from your questioning so again see how that allows you to drive this course I hope that I have you convinced by now I also want to say to you that um Ah, okay, this is where I just realized I need to warm up to these lectures. I, um, oh, this is it. So the those content, front week contents are always, podcasts are always going to be you as driver by Askor. And then of course, Eric and I also are gonna be posing questions because we think in questions too. And then I'm going to use this space too to scaffold just a little bit. Again, without any spoilers, I'm going to scaffold a little bit. So you already know I fangirl all over Hanif, for example, this week and Toni Morrison. I'm not saying a lot about because I think you probably already know Toni Morrison, equally badass. And I only recently discovered that Nobel lecture. And so I hope that comes as a surprise to all of you. I do try continually to get you access to content that you don't already know. Um, there's that. And maybe that's enough for now. I wanna talk to you quickly about some of the things Eric Butler and I have been talking about as we decide how to teach this course. There's a sort of, do we do old school theory? I've taught this course in a way in the past where we spend much more time hanging out with old school theorists. And then at the very end, we stop and we decolonize and say, okay, where do we go from them? We have this strong foundation. We understand the history of analysis of mythology in the sciences, and it was super problematic. And let's figure out what people are doing differently and better now and in the last 40 years. That is a way to teach this course. Uh, there were also some syllabi online of professors who are really into teaching witchcraft and the occult. That's cool. Um, it's sexy. It left me feeling the professor in particular that was doing that was using a textbook and I felt why would I be teaching this textbook if I can lecture you through all of this content. So I don't want to use textbooks. We're not going to do it. And also, um, though, we are going to talk witches at some point. We're also going to talk, for example, American cowboys. And you're going to say, why are we talking American cowboys? Maybe in a myth, ritual, and symbolism course. But because I'm interested in power and how power is established and maintained, and because also I've suggested that we start with this line of questioning that is about 
recreating the world, right? Recreating the world probably starts with rearranging power relationships or the distribution of power in whatever forms, whether it's social capital, cultural capital, financial capital. For me, world building necessarily requires thinking about power. And so because we're talking about these things, um, we're going to talk about narratives that have worked in the U.S., for example, to sustain social hierarchy. I think we can get there pretty readily from looking at, thinking about constructions, social constructions of the cowboy, the Western cowboy. This also gives us lots of excuses to think and talk about all of the content in the arts that has been created that is related to the American cowboy. We can get really easily from thinking about the gaucho in Argentina where I am now. We can get really easily. How did the gaucho function? And did the gaucho in Argentina do for the masses and, and for nationalist understandings of self the same thing that the cowboy did in the United States, for example? What about the vaquero in Mexico? What is, what is the understanding of, what is shared cultural understanding of the vaquero in Mexico right now and what was it in the past, right? We have all of these excuses to get to this content. And all right, officially, that's enough. Let me let you move forth. I'm going to wait and see what questions you ask. I'm not even going to clarify a whole lot here. I've talked to you through problem posing probably more than I needed to. Let me say that I am really excited to be here. I'm really excited to be making this course with Eric and with all of you. And I hope that you are excited too. And, um, and we're in touch. I have no idea where we're going to arrive. And that too is really exciting. So welcome back to school. Thank you for being here. And, and that. Have a really good first week. Um, transition back. And always, always... Let me know what I can do, um, school-related, of course, as best I can and from far away, to, to ease transition. If transition is, um, is a thing, it is right now. Uh, also know that here I'm saying, if you have questions, let me know. But in general, in the middle of the week, I'm always going to be saying, instead of, if you have questions, let me know, I'm always going to be saying, via Canvas calendar, via our weekly content, tell me your questions. So here again, tell me your questions. And also, because I didn't say it a lot here, enjoy Bardeker at the end of this week, which for us is always going to be Sundays at midnight. I am asking you to write for the first time. I want to see how you write. I want to see you get excited in text about somebody, hopefully that you're already excited about. So I'm going to be asking you to put together 500 words artist commentary, right? This is your turf. This is something that I think you guys already easily get excited by. But I'm going to say to you, all right, go find somebody who's doing something with myth or ritual or symbolism in general, in the arts, in design, and come back and tell us about that person. Tell us what they're doing. Tell us what their use of myth or ritual or symbolism, blah, 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 symbolism allows them to do that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And that's it. Enjoy. I hope, hope, hope that you do. Take care. All the best. Cheers and ciao.